you've got a Bible, you might want to start turning to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3, you'll be reading uh, from verse 13 to 17. Yeah, just bear with me. There we go. Just to let you know, at the end of uh, this morning, we're going to pray for people who are not Christians yet. Yeah, there's some of you, there's a few of you out there, which I just feel God's put on my heart to give you the opportunity to say, I want to trust in Jesus. Some of you might have just done that, and we'd like to pray for you. Um, We'd like to pray for you anyway, but I just have this kind of, we don't do it every single week, although we probably ought to, um, but I just want to, I just want to, I just feel this kind of a burning uh, this morning to say, um, let's pray for you guys this morning. So if you want to become a Christian this morning, or if something um, that you've heard or whatever you'd like us to pray for, please um, get ready. So if you're a visitor here today, welcome. Welcome to Jubilee Church. I hope you've enjoyed the uh, service so far. Um, this morning, as uh, Saroosh said last week, and Simon reiterated this morning, we're going to be starting our uh, next series. So I'm opening up our next series Um, called Believe, um, and quoting the very wise words of Mr. Anybody recognize this guy? Very famous guy. (laughs) Quoting the very wise words of Mr. Darth Vader from the film Star Wars, where Darth is trying to uh, persuade Admiral Motti not to underestimate the power of the Force, uh, which he sarcastically refers to as that sad ancient religion, out of date, out of touch, pointless, which Vader replies very famously, if you remember it, if you're into that kind of thing, I find your lack of faith disturbing, Admiral. <laughs> I just breathe like that normally. I find your lack of faith disturbing. Over the next few weeks, in this new series, uh, we want to unpack the wisdom of our ancient religion, our ancient faith, looking at what the Bible says about some of the key areas of why we believe what we believe. How does it make a difference? Uh, In fact, a lot of people would say today, or they would be shocked at the fact that Christians take the Bible so seriously. They say, hey, come on, times have changed. We've moved on. We're more sophisticated now. The Bible's a bit out of date. Get with it. Wrong. It's just not true. In fact, history would tell us that it's actually the other way around. I was talking to a guy about this uh, just a few uh, mornings ago on Sunday morning. We live in a world now that the tr- where the truth is always shifting. The wisdom of this age is always on its way out. Uh, a very famous New York pastor called Mr. Timothy Keller uh, very insightfully puts it this way. He says, what the educated and intellectuals of one generation believe will always, always be mercilessly ridiculed and discredited by the educated and intellectuals of the next generation. Look, people will laugh at your iPods and iPads and iPhones and textbooks and medicine and cars and fashion and big ideas 50 years from now. They will. They always do. Uh, Someone once said, all that is not eternal is eternally out of date. Jubilee, the Bible is God's breathed, 
eternal truth, relevant to all cultures, all ages, to everyone, everywhere, and in every time. Christian doctrine, biblical truth, hear this, has remained pretty much unchanged for the last 20 centuries. It has stood the test of time. It has brought stability and strength and perseverance and transformation to billions of Christians across the globe, often in the most terrible, horrific situations. No other book has changed lives, situations, and nations like the Bible has. That is an uncontroversial statement. Uh, Melvin Bragg writes this about the uh, King James Bible. He wrote a whole book on it, surprisingly. Um, he says, you may be a Christian, you may be anti-Christian, or of another religion, or none. You may be an atheist fundamentalist and think the Bible is monstrous, a book to be dismissed or derided. But whoever you are, the King James Bible has driven the making of the world you live in over the last 400 years, often in the most unexpected ways. That's what a non-Christian, I think, uh, Melvin Bragg said. If you're a rational, reasonable person, a thought-out person here this morning, you can't ignore the Bible. You can't discard it. You'd actually want to know more about it. You'd actually want to come on the Alpha Course, because that's what we do on the Alpha Course, wouldn't you? So that's what the next 10 weeks are going to be about. Can I encourage you to invite your friends to these mornings, whether they believe in Jesus or are about to believe in Jesus? Can I encourage you to give them the opportunity to hear the life-saving message of Christianity? Bring them along. So let's read this morning's Bible passage, shall we? Uh, um, describing Jesus' baptism at the very start of his three-year ministry, um, on the earth, reshaping history like we've never seen before. Christianity exploded um, after Jesus was risen again. This is what it says, Matthew 3, 13 to 17. <clears throat> then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, Jesus, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Yes, Lord, we thank you that you are a great God. We thank you that you are a wonderful, wonderful Jesus. We pray, Lord God, that you will ignite our hearts with the truth of the Bible. We pray, Lord God, that you will fill us with your Holy Spirit every day. We pray, Lord God, that the, 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 the triune God that you are, the wonderful, diverse, amazing depths of God that we see in the God we worship, we get this morning. I pray, Lord God, open our hearts to the truth of the Trinity, a triune God, a God like no other. Thank you, Jesus. So to many of us, this is quite a familiar passage, isn't it? 
possibly over-familiar, I would suggest. And we've read it lots, heard it lots, but like many things in the Bible, we probably don't get the significance of it like the readers of Matthew's day would have got. Let me tell you, let me tell you, this would have been, this, this passage that we've just read would have been jaw-dropping to the people of Matthew's time. On hearing this, they wouldn't have got all sentimental like I saw in some of your faces thinking, oh, what a lovely picture, God the Father loving his little son as he comes out of that water and that beautiful little fluffy kuchi-kuchi-woo little dove resting on his head, gently landing. Oh, isn't that nice? If that's what you're thinking, stop it. Stop right there. Because that would not have been the reaction of Matthew's audience in first century Palestine. More likely, they would have been saying, what? What on earth are you saying, Matthew? You're going to get into serious, serious trouble saying things like that. And almost certainly he did. Matthew was almost certainly martyred for his faith. So what was so radical about this passage? Well, to many of us, describing God the Holy Spirit like a dove, isn't that unusual, is it? It's there in all the Gospels. We're used to it. But this would have been very unusual for the people of Matthew's day. In fact, really, there was only one other place in Orthodox Judaism where the Spirit of God was ever likened to a dove. Where? Way back in the old Aramaic translations of the Hebrew Bible called the Targums, right at the very beginning, describing the creation of the world. And it read something like this. And the earth, was without form and empty, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God fluttered above the face of the waters like a dove. And God spoke, let there be light. And what that was describing in the Targums is the very foundation of the world when there was no sky, no earth, no sea, no conflicts, no conservative party. Definitely no you or me. But the writer tells us way, way back then, before anything else, there was God. But not just any old God. There was a triune God. Three persons. God the Father who spoke. God the Holy Spirit who flatters like a dove. And God's spoken word, his very son. A three person, one God. And although we don't get it at first, what Matthew is radically, masterfully doing here in this passage we've just read this morning is he's taken, taking us way back to the start, the very beginning of creation, and saying just like in the beginning of the world, uh, just like the beginning of the world was the project of a triune, one-but-three-person God, Yahweh, Just like that, now that same triune God, God the Father, God the Son, who, by the way, everybody, is Jesus, ta-da, as he rises up out of the water, welcome him, and God the Holy Spirit, that same God who you've been worshipping for centuries is the same triune God who has come in person right now to bring about a new kingdom, a new humanity, recreation, restoration, redemption, salvation, new hope for this broken world. And it is all centered around Jesus. He is your Trinitarian God. Wow. 
That's the bombshell. Matthew, you're going to die for this. And so this morning, to kick off our series, I want to unpack the wonder of the Christian God. Let's start right there. That seems to be an appropriate, st- appropriate place to start. Our triune God, the Trinity. The fact that God, uh, that God is a God who is totally one, but also is forever eternally existent in three persons. A God who is not more fundamentally one than he is three and not more fundamentally three than he is one. When Grudem says, God eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and each person is fully God, and yet he is one God. Get it? Of course you don't. Andrew Wilson writes, the fact is our minds are incapable of understanding the mystery of the three-in-one God, uh, the three-one God. For, for, For an arrogant species like us who invented space travel, nuclear fission, marmite, and income tax, this comes as a nasty shock. In fact, the Bible teacher, C.J. Mahaney, talking about difficult questions his kids ask him about the Bible, says, there is one question more difficult to answer than the one about the Trinity, and that is, Daddy, what's a concubine? (laughs) The historic doctrine of the Trinity confronts us with perhaps one of the most difficult thought that the human mind has ever been asked to grapple with. And so under three headings this morning, we're going to unpack perhaps the most difficult thought that the human mind has had to grapple with. I hope you've all eaten your three Weetabix. Three headings, the beauty of the Trinity, you'll be blown over by him when you get it. The power of the Trinity, he makes a difference in your life. It's important. The sacrifice of the Trinity, God loves you. Beauty power, sacrifice. That's where we're going. So the first thing, beauty, the beauty of our triune God. When the early Greek uh, church were grappling with this mind-bending biblical truth, um, the complexities of the Trinity, they coined a very helpful term to describe it, and that was the word perichoresis, perichoresis, from which we later get our word uh, choreography from, designing a dance. And the early church used this term, perichoresis, to describe our amazing, wonderful triune God, God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son, as this beautiful, dynamic, pulsating dance of joy and love, totally captivating. So what is perichoresis? Well, well, if we were to draw this on a flip chart or something, it would look something like this. You can't draw God, obviously. You would have God the Father here, and God the Son here, and God the Spirit here. And in our picture, each one would be orbiting around the other, centering around the other. All attention and focus would would be on the other members, each one moving around the other two like a dance, perichoresis. Each one sacrificing their interest to make the other happy to glorify the other. C.S. Lewis, the writer of the Narnia book, said this, in Christianity, God is not an impersonal thing like a force or a power, nor is it a static thing, nor even just one person. 
No, the Christian God is dynamic, is a dynamic pulsating activity, a life, almost a kind of drama, almost, if you will not think me irreverent, a kind of dance. Perichoresis. Another writer, a guy called Cornelius Plantiga, put it, put it like this. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit glorify each other. What does glorify mean? Glorify means to delight, to serve, to adore, to give yourself, to bless. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit glorify each other. At the center of the universe, self-giving love is the dynamic currency of the Trinitarian God. The persons within God exalt, commune with, and defer to one another. When the early Greek Christians spoke of perichoresis in God, they meant that each divine person harbors the other at the very center of his being. In constant movement and overture and acceptance, each person envelops and encircles the others. Do you get the picture? Do you get the picture what the, that the early Greek Christians were trying to get across? Do you see the unique beauty of this God? Phenomenal, really, if you really think about it. God is not some grumpy old man in the sky, or the Christian God is not some grumpy old man in the sky waiting to nuke you. The biblical God is totally different. He's a community at his very core. He is relational. His very essence, his very essence is love. What do I mean by that? Well, before the creation of the world, if you're just one, if you're just a one-person God or a force, well, you couldn't have loved anyone, could you? You were on your own. Love wouldn't have been at the very nature of that God, would it? Power, maybe. Control, maybe. But not love. However, Jesus radically says in John 17, 24, Father, I want those you have given me to be with, be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me, because why? You loved me before the very creation of the world. Before anything existed, there was a loving community in the Godhead, perfect oneness, yet three persons offering themselves to one another in ceaseless, joy-filled, mutually submissive, generous, creative, self-giving love. Wow! Isn't our God beautiful? Isn't He beautiful? So what? Who cares? C.S. Lewis had the same question, point two, the power of the Trinity. C.S. Lewis said, what does it all matter? It matters more than anything else in the world. If you're not a Christian, get that. The whole dance or drama or pattern of this three-personal life is to be played out in each one of us. Each one of us has got to enter that pattern, take his place in the dance. There is no, hear this, there is no other way to, ha for the happiness, to the happiness for which we were made. They are the great fountain of energy and beauty spurting up at the very center of reality. That's why it matters. We were created to be part of this ultimate reality. That is our triune God. 
Anything else, anything less will not do. Anything else will, will, will disappoint you. Let me very briefly give you three implications of joining this Trinitarian, triune dance of God. Firstly, if God is Trinity, and He is, if our God is Trinity, love is more important than success, than anything actually. If self-giving love is at the heart of our Creator God, then we who, who were created in His image were built for this same glorious self-giving love above anything else. You see, the very opposite of uh, perichoresis is self-centeredness. It's pride, it's self-righteousness, it's me, 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 where people remain stationary, unwilling to move, static, too fearful, too vulnerable, or just too proud to orbit around others or defer to others. Static, motionless, no dance. It's what the Bible calls sin, actually, and life not centered around Jesus, around the biblical God. 1 John 4, 7 says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love God, who to whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love in his very essence. Are you living, Jubilee, are you living out the Trinitarian community love of God? Or are you too busy just making excuses? It's not easy, I know. But no one said it would be. Don't be on the edge. You know who you are. Come on. Others of you, help others come in. Don't be stumbling blocks for people entering into your communities. Don't get all cliquey. We're going to be mixing our community groups over the coming months uh, as we meet, and we're going to be mixing the church up over the coming months as we have prayer meetings here, there, and everywhere. As your community groups start getting, uh, moving around and doing other things, um, as we do something called Summer Sundays over the summer, we'll tell you about that nearer the time when the sun gets a bit hotter. Um, we're going to be doing a whole lot of stuff. We, we do not want cliquey groups. However, we also want community groups in Jubilee Church to be loving, supportive, strong. I love the fact that when my non-church friends meet my church friends for a whole evening, they always go home confused. <laughs> How can such a rabble be friends like I've never seen before? That's what's going through their mind. I'll tell you why. Because God, at his very heart, is a triune God of love. And therefore, that's what we were built for. Secondly, God is if God is Trinity, then servanthood means everything. Serving means everything. When you look at glimpses of the inner life of the Trinity, each one is perpetually bigging the other up. Rather than demanding glory from one another, they're giving glory to each other. Look up the Bible passages. The way up seems to be down. The way to influence seems to be to serve. The way to power seems to be to give up power in the Trinity. What's the point? I'll tell you. Once again, if this is the character of our triune God, 
than giving up your rights, giving up power, serving and caring for other people instead of yourself, seeking their interests ahead of yours. Giving generously is again at the, heart, at the very heart of the universe. It's what you were created for. Paul and Liz Winston, the Dingles family, you know what I mean by you guys. Angela and Jonathan, Paul and Jill, uh, John and Alan, Sue and John, Simon and Jody, Marbash and Sarush, Jassim, I could just, the list could go on and on. God knows who you are. You guys are an, in, are an inspiration to me and my family because you devote yourselves to the interests of others. Self-giving, generous, loving, sacrificial, all out. Thank you for being in this church. Thank, keep it going. Keep bringing the rest of us on that faith-filled journey. The power of the Trinity is in community. The power of the Trinity is in servanthood. The Thirdly, if God, is in, if God is Trinity, and He is, mission is not optional. It's not. Have you ever wondered why God says, worship me? Sounds a bit, sounds a bit, sounds a bit big-headed to me. Adore me, glorify me, bow down to me. Does God have a major ego problem? Is God a bit too big for his boots? Maybe it's an insecurity complex. Wrong. As we've already said, God is completely self-sufficient, happy in himself. God doesn't need you and me. God doesn't have an insecurity problem. Not at all. There is only one reason that God, for God to call us to worship him, when you realize that he already has perfect happiness. And when you realize that, the only reason for him to call us to worship him is this. It's to share it. It's to bring others in. The people who God has put us with, you and me. That's what Jesus' great commission speaks of, doesn't it? Matthew 28, 19, go. And actually that Greek word for go actually translates to go together, all of you and make disciples of no, all nations, baptizing them into, into, into what? The name, not the names, one God, there it is again, in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. See that word name there? When the Bible talks about a name, it means much more than we think today. In the Bible, names often mean the character of, the very being of, the very being, who you are, what you're like, what your nature is, what your very essence is. Simon, Simon, you'll become Peter, the rock. Abraham, you'll become Abraham, father of many. Jacob, you'll be Israel, he who prevails with God. Names are important in the Bible. And so here in the Great Commission, Jesus is saying, Go together, all of you, into all of the world. Break down the divides of nations and cultures and differences and baptize them, dunk them, submerge them into my name, the very being of me, God in all my oneness and threeness, togetherness, happiness, glory, beauty, diversity, self-giving, other-orientated love. Go! You know what? That was a theological breakthrough for me this week. 
I'd never read the Great Commission to that degree of richness and wonder and call before. Do you know why? Because I've always centered it on me. Go. Dallas Willard writes, Dallas Willard, what a man. Dallas Willard writes this, ultimately every human circle is doomed to dissolution if it is not caught up in the life of the, of the only genuinely self-sufficient circle of life, that of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. For that circle is the only one that is truly, totally, absolutely self-sufficient. And all other broken circles must ultimately find their healing there, if anywhere. If you're not a Christian here this morning, where, who are you looking to for happiness, joy, and fulfillment? Because let me tell you, every joy that does not have Jesus as the central gladness of that joy is a hollow joy that in the end will burst like a bubble. Jubilee, this is our go together, go together. Isaiah 61, God declared mission, isn't it? As we prayed at our um, um, Jubilee prayer meeting in Stockton a few weeks ago, God is sending you into places, into the places, the situations, the communities, the, relationship that he, the relationships that he's put you in to make a gospel-changing difference. Don't underestimate the power of God in you. Don't compromise the power of God in you or the call of God in you. Like Isaiah, will you say, here I am, send me. Will you wake up to that call every single morning? Or will you just blend in? We want Teesside, don't we? We want this nation and the nations to experience come into the healing, life-changing community triune community of God, don't we? Don't we? That's God's heart too, a triune God, and he wants to invite everyone to the dance. So our one God exists as an unmatchless life of togetherness and beautiful joy in three persons. Our one God changes everything about how we live for him, loving one another, serving one another, going together out there, making disciples and baptizing them into the name, the very triune nature, being of the Christian God. Finally, the sacrifice of the Trinity. How on earth, uh, how on earth could he welcome us in? Uh, Val gave me this. Apparently, it's a book that is 200 years old, and I love, I love books, gen, books generally, but a 200-year book. She hasn't given me it, by the way. Maybe I could persuade her by the end of it. No. And it says this. I love this. It says, how can two walk together, says the prophet, except they be agreed? Would it be any pleasure for two persons to live continually together? whose inclinations, wills, and dispositions are opposite and cross to each other. Either God or the sinner must be changed before there can be any agreement between them. Until there is conformity and agreeableness, there can be no happiness 
and to spend an eternity together would be a most undesirable thing. 200 years ago. How on earth could this God welcome us in? That's what, been, that's what the, a lot of the prophetic was about this morning. If you're not a Christian here this morning, have you really thought that question through? With all our shortfalls, rebellion, disobedience, what that book was talking about, with all of our pride, selfishness, anger, sin, how, how could God let us in? How could God share his perfect, spotless holiness with us? Staggering to, to even think about it, really. But Romans 5 tells us, God, and it says this, God, triune God, demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What does that mean? Well, I'll tell you what it means. He entered our dance. He left his perfect dance and started revolving around us, circling us. Jesus, God himself, left his position of heavenly glory and sinless, perfect, perfect perichoresis, the eternal, joyful, wonderful dance of heaven, to come to earth and become flesh. He moved from a place where there was no sin at all to a place like Bethlehem, Jerusalem, maybe like Middlesbrough, Stockton, like Hartlepool. He walked in our shoes. He faced temptations of all kinds. He experienced misunderstanding, bereavement, rejection. This same triune God, this is the same triune God that we're talking about, remember. Jesus bent down. He stooped over. He entered our world, yours and mine. He left his dance and shouted out to us, you and me, take my hand. Will you dance with me? On the cross, he took what should have come to us. He paid the price. He loved us so much that he didn't give us what we deserve, but instead totally took on himself what he didn't deserve. Why? So that we could enter this beautiful dance. How can you say that God doesn't love you? That's crazy. Do you get this? Do you see this? Really, will you stop pushing him aside? Will you take this beautiful, beautiful, glorious one seriously? Jubilee, will you, will you let your life declare the wonder of our triune God? Or when the next difficult season comes along, when the next girl or boy comes along, when the next distraction or tough situation falls your way, when temptation strikes, will you pretend he's not there? It's a choice. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The band could come up. Jubilee, let him declare over you as his Father declared over him. You, you, Jill Catrell, you, Alison, Mike, you, Karen, you, Lauren, Eric, Neville, 
Pat, Vicky, Kevin, Jackie, Hannah, you, all of you, are my sons, my precious daughters, whom I love. With you, all of you, I am so well pleased. Amazing grace, really, if you really think, if you look in the mirror, as I did this morning. Anyway, that's for another day, amazing grace. Let's all join the dance, Jubilee. Let's stand. We're going to take the collection as we sing the last song as well. If you're a visitor here this morning, um, we don't want your money. Thanks very much for coming along. This is for the regular giving of Jubilee Church. Now, as we sing this last song, I want to speak to people who do not know this Jesus in a life-changing, glorious way. I want to speak to people here this morning who cannot say, I trust this beautiful Jesus. I love this beautiful Jesus who died for me to set me free. I believe there's at least three of you here this morning. But also, one of you have gone through all the motions a little bit. But you haven't yet known this real God, what we were talking about earlier. You haven't encountered this amazing Jesus for real. And so I just want to say to you, if you want to become a Christian this morning, you need to do a few things. You need to say sorry. That's as easy as that, yet it's as hard as that. Because our hearts never want to say sorry. If you have children, you'll know what that means. Our hearts do not want to say sorry. But God breaks us down in that big word, sorry. You've got to say, sorry, Lord, for all my disobedience, all my disregard for you, rejecting you, rebelling against you, not putting you at the heart of everything. Sorry. Sorry. And then do you know what he does? He welcomes you in. Because he took the punishment that you deserved. That great barrier, that great dividing wall came crashing down when Jesus was on the cross. That's what he meant by it is finished. And you are welcomed into the loving arms of this God. It will change your life forever. It's not going to be easy but you have an eternal hope forever. So if that's for you, if that's you this morning, can I encourage you to have your moment with God right now as we sing this next song? Say sorry, say thank you. As you say sorry, he will welcome you in. He will forgive your sins. He will bring you into the triune family of God. He absolutely will. Don't miss this moment this morning. Don't miss it. Lord Jesus, I thank you, Lord, that you are a God of great depths, unfathomable depths, amazing depths. You're a God uh, who is totally, eternally existent as one, 
uh, as one God, but three persons. A, a God of infinite joy and togetherness and community and relational love. And we pray, Lord God, that you enter the lives of people this morning who do not yet know you. We also pray for all of us here, Lord God, that we'll be challenged, that we will become more and more like you, that as the Holy Spirit, as we encounter God the Holy Spirit, the triune God in us every day, that we will be pushed more and more into the community life of God, into service, into the mission that you've called us to. Why? Because we love you. Why? Because we adore you. Why? Because you're the one true amazing God. Thank you, Lord. If that's you this morning and you have made that commitment, why don't you come and speak to me or the person who's brought you?